1: this is Star Talk. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. And this week we're doing a live show about dead people. It's Halloween time. And there's no other subject we could tackle for this week's episode than ghost hunting. I have with me Eugene Merman. Eugene. Hello. Welcome back. Hello. Yes. Eugene, it's I love good having to you. I love being talk. here. Eugene tweets at Eugene Merman. It's that's true. what you do, and that's where I find you, and I don't otherwise see you. Yes. So, Eugene, you are you a big ghost guy or what?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm a huge <laughs> ghost guy. Uh, first of all, thanks for asking uh, such a easily answered. It's question. It's just a
1: conversation starter. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. yeah don't, you know, don't, I don't. overthink think. it. Yeah.
2: Uh, no, I don't. I don't. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not a no. I guess the answer is. I don't know that I think there are ghosts, but I do think that there's lots of wizards. So, you know, I'm not all bad.
1: That makes up for it. So this, of course, has been around forever. People have, you know, it's a pre-scientific notion.
2: Before science, there were ghost
1: thoughts. The notion, yes, ghost thoughts. And it surely continues well into the into the era of science, scientific investigations, the methods and tools of science, Mm -hmm. but it was long suspected that dead people still hung around to haunt the living. In particular, it was not just people who died ordinary deaths. That's not the typical ghost you'd find. It was people that might have died horrible deaths or died too early or died under extraordinary circumstances, almost as though their spirits were never at rest.
2: Basically, little kids and then horse carriage mishaps. (laughs) I
1: guess so. Right, because horses long outnumbered the years of
2: utility uh, that cars have Exactly. (laughs) That's why I choose horses for my joke. Brilliantly done. Thank you.
1: And so uh, another interesting phenomenon was that in the late 1800s, early 20th century, there was a resurgence of people's efforts to communicate with the dead. Mm -hmm. And seances were really big business. And you'd go into, would it be a well-lit room? No. No, it would be a darkened room. Yeah. A darkened room. Ghosts,
2: everyone knows ghosts hate light bulbs.
1: It was a darkened room, and you'd pay someone, usually a woman, Mm -hmm. who would communicate with the spirits who you uh, lost. And so this whole show is about the analysis of what those folks did, mm-hmm. what people are doing or say they're doing when they're hunt- trying to hunt down ghosts. And we have several guests we'll be bringing on for this. Mm-hmm. One of them was uh, a, a, a little while back. I interviewed <laughs> Former
2: President <laughs> Harry Truman. <laughs> the
1: spirit of. So one guest was Mary Roach. She's quite a prolific author on many subjects, but one of her books was called Spook, Science Tackles the Afterlife. And she was kind of ag- agnostic on the issue. she all she wanted to do was compile in her book a whole study of the stuff people did to investigate ghosts right this, so it was it 's a compilation, really, but very well written and uh, let's see, let 's see what, what she says about this mm-hmm. Mary Roach. You've got ghost hunting shows. So you sure do. I'm what are they about?
3: Well, anytime there's a new technology, somebody gets the idea that this is what we need to communicate with the beyond. And frequently, you know, it's something like infrasound or ultrasound or infrared. The only problem we've had in the past is just that we can't communicate with them. But now we're in a different range. New
1: tool, new method. New tool, of-
3: new method. This is the way to get through them. Even Edison, Thomas Edison, the time he died. Do you know any other Edison? On- <laughs> Con
1: Con Edison yeah. there you go. <laughs> The Electric um, Company of New York.
3: So Thomas Edison, he was working on this machine that was, in essence, an amplifier, because he believed that when you die you turn into these little life units, these little bits, and he thought it was kind of like the Who's down in Whoville, the Su- Dr. Seuss their voices are very, very tiny and if you could amplify them, you could hear them, so he was trying to create this sort of amplifying device for reaching the spirit world, so modern day Ghostbusters they'll use, you know, infrared cameras or sonar detectors, bat detectors, that kind of thinking that maybe they communicate in a different wavelength than what we do Now the so- few
1: ghost people I've spoken with they're pretty convinced that they've got good enough data to say that ghosts are among us. But you've From, surveyed a century yeah. of this. Well, centuries of this. Are they any more convincing to you than previous investigators?
3: Well, I contacted one of the people who makes these electromagnetic, you know, EMF meters, which is a common tool that the Ghostbusters use.
1: What so, kind of meter again? EMF. Oh, EMF, electromagnetic field.
3: And I contacted one of these people and I said, where along the line did you get the sense that what an EMF measures is spirit energy? Where does that come from? And he said, "Well, people seem to say that." <laughs> <laughs> and, and, Good enough and, for me. And P- <laughs> and P.S. were selling a heck of a lot of them. Oh. So they now they started marketing cuz it used to be something linemen would use and you know, I mean it's some it's a tool. It's a it's linemen a, you mean people, the, w- people for, who, for, for
1: high tension lines. Mm-hmm. Sure,
3: yeah. There's, you know, industrial applications for these if things. If you're a football
1: fan, a lineman is someone else.
3: That's true and they okay. don't use those. And computers. they don't use those. Well, meters. they might. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they do with those meters. Anyway, the, these meters, EMF meters.
1: And by the way, electromagnetic Field is all around us. There's radio waves, yeah, microwave. Yeah, exactly. Microwave. You, or
3: you, like one time I was doing an article. I was on this supposedly haunted whaling ship at Mystic Seaport. And they're there with their EMF meters. And there's a giant... Mystic the,
1: Connecticut. Yes. With a big whaling village from the past.
3: Exactly. There's a whaling ship. And they've got their equipment all set up and their EMF meters. And they're getting like, you know, ooh, look at this. Well, there's a great big anchor. There's a great big hunk of... Iron. Iron. Okay, that'll do it. That'll, yeah, that'll totally it.
1: distort an ec- that, electromagnetic that, uh, field.
3: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I just wish if you're going to use a piece of equipment like Learn you know some physics. Actually <laughs> know what an EMF is, <laughs> how the meter works, Learned what some other physics. things might set it off. <laughs> Thank you.
1: <laughs> so, Eugene, it's all about the tools. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you go into the physics lab, pull out what you think will detect things you can't see, and why not invoke it?
2: Well, you can get lots of Boxes that you could put in places that will make sounds <laughs> I know. based on random stuff that you. Well, don't this is part of the
1: problem because if you don't fully, have, if you haven't fully characterized your environment, you'll start detecting things that have been there all along, but you'll start thinking with your new apparatus that it's something.
2: Uh, that, it's that it's ghosts. That's yeah. so, ghosts not weird radio waves. And, exactly. Or so, normal radio. So we, the waves.
1: list is long. The list there's there's something called an EVP detector, an electronic mm-hmm. voice phenomenon detector, which detects sort of acoustic frequencies outside of what the human ear can detect. So typically dogs can hear outside of our frequencies, but this would, at its best, would do much better than that. But what you don't know, what people don't often know, is that practically any transmitting device in a room has some kind of vibration that's got some kind of sound that you're not even paying attention to, you can't even hear. Right. That's going to start picking up. We live in a technological environment. And so what would be great if you had one of these detectors and you lived in a mud hut.
2: (laughs) And then you could see. And then you start to... Or if you had a, a dog that could detect ghosts.
1: That would be even better. We, we have dogs that detect beg bugs. You'd think you'd have one by now who could detect yes. ghosts. There's an interesting study uh, with regard to infrasound. This would be sound with frequencies lower than what is audible to the human eye. But, I mean, to the I human ear. But I just want to say what?
2: that just because I can't hear it doesn't mean it's a ghost. That's the strangest <laughs> assumption I've ever heard. Like, I can't hear it. It's probably a ghost. That's what it must be. I- well, what now, else could if, a person not hear? If
1: your tools detect it and you don't, then you have an argument. So sure. there was a fellow named Vic Tandy who's a lecturer at Coventry University. Mm. He was curious whether infrasound – again, this is sound at a lower frequency than you can hear. The human ear bottoms out at about uh, about 20 hertz, something mm-hmm. like that. So you, what he found is that at the frequency of 18 hertz – hertz is vibrations per second of a sound wave – that about that frequency – it resonates with the structure of the human eyeball. And if you have a sound that resonates with something material, it'll make the material vibrate at that frequency. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you mean by it resonates. And when it when that happens to you, your eye begins to see things that are, in fact, not there. And there was a room, there was a lab where he worked that was declared to be haunted by many people because you'd see things at the corner of your eye, a little fuzzy thing moving. And he would see it himself. And he finally actually did a research paper to show that there was a, there was a subsonic vibration in the room that triggered this reaction in the human eyeball upon walking in. Oh. And so. Uh, it's it's interesting when you think something supernatural. You just sort of think about it a little further.
2: If I could emit a f- an eighteen uh, hertz frequency, then would I freak people out everywhere I went? You would be a
1: new kind of superhero, yeah, putting visions into people's eyeballs. Yes, this is
2: this is my plan now. <laughs> Thank you, Neil.
1: <laughs> there are also things like ions in the air. Ions uh-huh. are. Are uh, they're charged atoms, charged particles, anything that's not a whole? If you atom. say so, I, I, you can trust me on this one. I do.
2: <laughs> Save your doubts thing. for another
1: time. Yeah, yeah. This one, I'm good for. Okay. I'm good for this one. So, an ion, you take an atom, you strip off its electrons, mm. uh, or you add too many electrons, you make an ion. So, an ion is a charged particle floating freely. Uh, matter doesn't like staying charged. It wants to sort of find its mate, close it, close the loop. And, it, and you're done for it, M- rendering most matter in the universe neutral. Mm-hmm. Right, but so if you have ions, an ion field, it means something was going on there because the air does not want to stay ionized. And by the way, a lightning bolt is mm-hmm. an I- is is the atmosphere rendered visible because the lightning ionized the air on its way from the ground up to the cloud, which is the way
2: lightning travels. Of by the course,
1: way. <laughs> duh, duh. <laughs> lightning. Yeah, and also, there are things like we see what we call visible light. You know, Roy G. Biv? Can you recite Roy G. Biv for me?
2: Uh, Like red, yellow. Orange. Orange. Orange, yellow. Biv, uh, blue, (laughs) violet, (laughs) DeVoe.
1: I I should have warned you. You'd be quizzed for this program. And so what you have is... Outside of that frequency of light, there's other bands of the spectrum, you know, infrared, ultraviolet. We can't see those. So you can imagine exploring the world. (laughs) I've never seen Sartreuse. ever. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so what we have is there's a colleague of mine, a good friend and colleague, phil plate his handle his twitter handle is bad astronomer he had a blog called bad astronomy where you'd write in and tell him things that you thought were true about the universe and he would sort of give you the straight shot and he's thought about ghosts as well let's find out what he tells us Mm -hmm. about this whole business
4: a lot of ghost hunters on tv and in life use a lot of equipment that they claim will detect a ghost they'll use thermal cameras for example cameras that can sense infrared light And they walk around in places and they see all kinds of little hot spots and cold spots. But in fact, there's wiring behind the walls that can warm up a wall. There are places where air is trapped and it's warmer, where even if you lean against a wall and then walk away, you've warmed the wall up a little bit and you can see that. I have seen my own footprints on the floor glowing. As I walked past a thermal camera, they also use what they call EMFs or electromagnetic force detectors. And these basically are just testing for electricity. And so if there's electricity flowing through a wall, they're going to see it. And if you walk past one of these things with metal in your pocket, that can be detected. So really, these things aren't really telling you what's there, except that there's just everything there. They're so sensitive that everything trips them. So every time you see these shows and they say, oh, it must be a ghost, it's like, no, it must be a million things. I think it would have ghosts on the end of that list.
1: <clears throat> Carl Sagan would have said that it would have been a billion things, <laughs> I'm quite sure. So we're coming up on our first break, but after the break, we're going to bring in a, one of the foremost ghost investigators in the world. Oh, wow. His name is Joe Nickel.
2: And he's going to tell us how he misuses science equipment <laughs> to claim there are ghosts. <laughs> ah, he's, he, he can't he, hear me.
1: He started life as a private investigator. So uh-huh. he thinks about data in a Sherlock Holmes sort of way. All Ooh. right. You say this, but I really see that. And here's the evidence against what you're saying. And so that's how he started. And in that world, he then realized that there was a lot of work to be done in the sort of the skeptical world, of exploring claims that people make. And it's people make honest, innocent statements about what's going
2: on. You're just seeing a frequency that makes their eyes think that there's a ghost. I get it. <laughs> for example. It's not their fault <laughs> that they're pretty sure they're talking to a dead friend. example.
1: So we're going to talk to him about what tools he uses, what kinds of things he's investigated. Uh, he's actually uh, in New Orleans right now and mm-hmm. earlier today performed a seance In an attempt to reach the ghost of Houdini, which is an annual thing that gets done around Halloween time. We've got to take a quick break, but more Star Talk when we return. You're listening to Star Talk Radio's Halloween show. I have with me Eugene Merman, and we're trying to summon the spirit of Joe Nickel. On our line. In, Is he here? Uh, no, it's the no. spirit in New Orleans. Joe Nickel, are you on the line?
6: Hi, Neil. Joe, oh, wow. hey, man, how We've you doing? We've had a poltergeist experience here. but <laughs> I'm I glad I, we did not have I to feel murder myself, you. I feel myself being re-energized and coming back to the Earth plane.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, yeah, so Eugene was glad we didn't have to kill you because we weren't getting to your physical body but we would surely get to your spiritual one. Thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> so 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 let me ask Joe. We're talking about searching for ghosts and we've got clips from an interview I conducted with Mary Roach. We've got everybody's favorite bad astronomer Phil Plait coming in and out. But I've got you live on the line here and you I've already introduced you. So people already know who I'm talking to. You're a ghost hunter extraordinaire. No, you're a ghost investigator extraordinaire. What do you use technology to, to when you walk into someone's home and they complain that their house is haunted, like, what do you do when you knock on the door?
6: What I do is so different from what the ghost hunters do. The ghost hunters say, sort of, move aside, ma'am, uh, just let us bring our high-tech equipment in here, and and uh, we'll see what we can find. And they bring in EVP meters, and uh, EV, they look for EVP, They they bring in EMF meters, they bring in thermal imaging cameras. And on the silly notion that somehow there's a ghost energy. Well, science hasn't found this. And, in fact, they're not detecting ghosts. They're they're detecting, you know, whatever. I mean, uh, there might be a microwave broadcast tower causing the EMF meter to go off or faulty wiring. So this, this is the pseudoscience approach. They're using scientific equipment, but they're using fundamentally doing pseudoscience. What I do is to say, okay, ma'am, what? What exactly is happening in your home? And if she says, Well, I, I woke up and, and I saw a ghost figure, I, I think it was my father, he was standing by my bedside. I would say, Well, you know, you're probably having a waking dream. It exists in the twilight between being fully asleep and fully awake. It's very common, it's harmless, but it isn't a ghost. Or if someone reports a noise, Uh, my first haunted house was 1972, a McKinsey house in Toronto. So you've got a whole book of
1: these things.
6: (laughs) Yeah. People were hearing footsteps on the stairs late at night when there was no one in the house and the house was locked. But as it turns out, next door was a footstep machine. (laughs) Yes. You got it. They're 40 40 inches away. was a parallel iron staircase and a late night cleanup crew. Uh, so, yes, a, foot, a footstep machine. And, and so people were hearing footsteps, but they weren't hearing a ghost. So what I'm trying to do, it, just to sum up, I'm trying to explain what's happening, not – so, so, so I'm, I'm absolutely having to listen to the person who's telling me why they think they have a ghost, and now I'm trying to explain that. Well, Not the, anything else, just that. So
2: you don't use, like, magic ghost goggles or anything. You're like, oh, there's a staircase. <laughs> or that's you, that's you dreamed when you were waking up. That's right. No, You're no a morphine magic, addict, so everything no, is crazy.
1: No magic ghost addict. No, uh, no magic ghost goggles. Right, but you don't go in there presuming there's no ghost. You, no,
6: what I'm trying to do is, is sort of like what Coleridge called the willing suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying, look, when we cross the threshold into the haunted house, let us be careful to to suspend belief and disbelief. Let's just free ourselves up, rather like a crime scene technician who's trying to find out what's going on at this time, in this place. Making no assumptions up front. You're like right. a
2: non-menacing Batman. <laughs>
6: <Okay>. <laughs> That's right. You see, it, it, it's just as bad to to have, it, like the ghost hunters, to have an agenda. They start with a belief in ghosts, and then they're just try, using confirmation bias, just trying to confirm uh, that. So any anomaly is considered evidence for a ghost. And so, the opposite of that, the dismissive... Uh, debunking approach is is equally bad because both of those are starting with the answer and working backwards to the evidence. Let's get and back to science. That. Doesn't do
1: that, Joe. Let's get back to that. I want to put it slip in another clip of my interview with Mary Roach. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wrote a book, Spook: That Science Tackles the Afterlife. Mm-hmm. And let's just see what she says about ghosts in the machines.
3: Anytime a machine does something peculiar, there's a subset of the population that chooses to interpret it as a spirit. For example, there are people who thought that when their VCR or their telephone, their voice recorder, their answering machine does something strange. There was a fairly well-known case in in the sort of psychic community of a spell checker that was communicating supposedly by the suggestions because it would make strange suggestions. Did you mean Penelope? whoa that's nothing like penelope but it turned out wait a minute
1: i know a penelope oh my gosh
3: yeah what it turned out is that the guy who owned the computer had added some things you know you can add things to your dictionary Mm -hmm. you can Mm -hmm. customize it so he had been customizing anyway but it was a an interesting case because they seemed out of the blue like cellar penelope you know there were all these things that added up to a famous murder in a castle somewhere and so he thought that this spirit was communicating via a spell checker. Can you think of a more laborious and insane way to be communicating? Yeah, why not just whisper it
1: in your ear? You Say, gonna... yeah, thanks. Or write
3: down a, write down a note. A yeah, I don't know. A spell checker.
1: <laughs> so, okay. so, yeah, this goes on and on, Joe. Now, now Joe, you, you conducted a seance earlier today. Is that correct?
6: We did. Did you conduct it or did you attend it? <laughs> I conducted the séance. All, All right, right. Mr. so you Science? have the, you have the
1: tower, the, the power, and the and the knowledge. Well, look, uh, people have been trying
6: to contact the spirit of Houdini since he died in 1926 on Halloween. Houdini. Houdini. Yeah, That's who we were looking for, and. Uh, it turns out that uh, that no one has contacted Houdini's spirit. Has anyone so, tried texting? <laughs> well, they, they've tried having spirit mediums. So this time, we, we're trying we're trying uh, uh, using uh, skeptics who think like Houdini. You know, he spent the last years of his life exposing bogus uh, spirit mediums who were mm-hmm. pretending to contact the dead. They were doing he no such thing. would be
2: furious to get contacted by a medium then. <laughs> That That's is so right cruel. so
6: so so the mediums naturally fail so we've suggested hey Harry maybe we're your friends uh, come along of course one of his he, own he
1: peeps. one of his own peeps.
6: yeah yeah. Of, his, he, yeah of course he, he never shows up for us either maybe proving the point that when your brain is dead you're really actually actually
1: dead now in mediums you know there was a uh, the, in the movie ghost itself. Uh, it portrayed Whoopi Goldberg as one of the spirit mediums, and but a mo- you know modern day, not from a, a century ago. And uh, do, do you have any comment about uh, ghosts portrayed in film? Well, of
6: course, you know, with, when you have the visual medium, you can actually make the ghosts appear. You How can just do that. Do you yeah, think yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, is? You know, they, they <laughs> look they look rather like us, only a little transparent. <laughs> uh, or they can be whatever you want.
1: It's cool it's, that they're kind of semi-transparent. I've always liked that.
6: Well, look, this is interesting because you know that the, when photography was discovered, the original daguerreotypes there were no ghosts. There were no ghosts in the next ambrotypes or tintypes. Only when glass plate negatives were invented, making double exposures possible you started getting ghosts looking like transparent humans. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and then that went that went okay through the 19th century. Occasionally you get some other kind of glitch, but but really until fairly recently ghosts sort of looked like well, us only transparent. <laughs> and and now people the ghost hunters are finding, you know, ghost orbs, balls of energy. And all those are are particles of dust in the air, right in front of the lens, bouncing the flash off the flash.
1: Exactly.
6: So, but it's interesting because we've had this whole iconographic sort of shift from ghosts that look like us to ghosts that may look like. It's a, Balls lot easier. Of energy.
2: it's a lot easier to find a ball of energy than Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> that, that's right.
6: And, and uh, sometimes you'll see a strand in a photograph that's uh, supposed to be a strand of ectoplasmic energy. And that's, just, that's the camera strap. That's oh, the, the camera, camera strap. strap. Okay. Mm-hmm. An
1: ectoplasmic and, camera strap. You know, I've got a clip from Phil Plank talking about movies. He's a big movie buff. Uh, and, let's, and a good let's, friend of mine. He's a good friend of yours. Let's see what he has to say about ghosts in movies.
4: In a lot of movies, you get kind of three types of ghosts. You get the ghosts who are loved ones, like in in the movie Ghost. You get the mischievous ones who are trying to cause some trouble, like in Ghostbusters. And then some that just kind of hang around and don't do anything. And there have been a couple of movies like that as well. I think in real life, what most gets reported as a ghostly phenomenon are simply pictures or movies that people see or Things that happen in their house. Now you can imagine you're in an old house at night, you're hearing noises, things are moving. That is when you're vulnerable to being frightened. And so I think that when you get reports like that, they're more likely to be from people who are scared. I remember in my old house, we had a fan that was way up on the ceiling. We had to turn it on using a remote control and the frequency would drift a little bit. And so sometimes that thing would just turn on by itself when the neighbors turned on their TV or something. And our TV used to turn off and on by itself too because of that remote uh, control problem. And if you're alone in, in some house at night and that happens, that's freaky. And so I think in general, those are the kind of ghosts that you hear the reports about. And those are the kind of movies, I think, that do really well.
1: So, Joe, when you uh, – this is Joe Nickel on the line. Joe, when you uh, greet up with people who ask you to investigate their homes, are they afraid or are they curious?
6: Well, they're often um, uh, both. They're, if, if they go so far as to ask me to come, they're probably uh, not Shrooms. looking to –
2: <laughs> to have on, it to, on mushrooms? <laughs> yeah, they're
6: probably uh, prepared to have me try to explain it rather than just agree with them. Uh, otherwise, they if, if they go to ghost hunters, of course, the ghost hunters are going to pretty much find that, yes, we have some anomalies here. And and look, the ghost hunters are using what's called an argument from ignorance. This is Most of the paranormal works this way. We'll get back to the argument
1: from ignorance, but only after we take a quick break. We'll see you in a few. Welcome back to our Halloween edition of Star Talk Radio. So, I've got on the line uh, Joe Nickel, who's a professional ghost sighting investigator. And we have him live from New Orleans, where he's attending a skeptics conference. And uh, Joe, let me ask you something. What, and,
6: and and if I may say, risking my life here, buddy. Uh, I mean, the vampires, the voodoo. They're lulas, all come out in ghosts, New Orleans. I believe zombies. you mean
2: goths. <laughs> I think You're mistaken. <laughs> oh, your these are
6: fans. Big, oh, maybe these are just people dressed up. Okay, well, yeah, yeah, But it is New Orleans. You know, it is. It is. Yeah. Plus, place. I don't
1: know if many people know that the cemetery in the. In the ghoul scene of Michael Jackson's thriller video Mm -hmm. is a cemetery on the outskirts of New Orleans. No. That's correct. A small cemetery there. I drove by it at night. Scared the hell. (laughs) (laughs) So, Joe, when people tell you they've seen ghosts, what kind of evidence do they offer you to to get your interest? By and large, they're
6: using an argument from ignorance. What they're doing is they're saying... Gee, you know, this happened. Uh, the, the, we had some electronic glitch, or I heard a noise, or something happened. My my keys were mislaid. They, I mean, not mislaid. That my keys were moved. And so what they do is is it's an argument from ignorance. They're saying we don't know what caused this,
2: therefore it's a ghost. There's no way I put my keys in this weird place. Probably a ghost. <laughs> That's right. That's an ar- yeah. It's
6: called an argument from ignorance. Nice. Meaning, meaning, not that the person is is an ignoramus, but what it means is that <laughs> that uh, you're saying I don't know.
2: They're like and low level conspiracy. And drawing it, yeah, you're trying
6: to draw a conclusion from I don't know. So it's a it's a logical fallacy. I don't know, therefore I do know. And so what we're trying to do is is explain things. Saying, well, maybe it could be this. Maybe you mislaid your keys. Maybe maybe that went on. As Phil. As Phil Plate was saying, uh, you know, there could be an electronic glitch causing something to come on.
2: Yeah, and or a least, ghost in a remote control, right? <laughs> so turning uh, on uh, your TV at
6: random. Exactly, but look, we have to prioritize the possibilities. We have to say, look, this, this, we know this happens sometimes. So that's a pretty good hypothesis, and we've never ever
1: found science has never found one, not one ghost. Wait, wait, so Joe, ghost... that's because you haven't found the ectoplasm. And in fact, I spoke with Mary Roach about ectoplasm. Apparently, it's a real concept in the ghost hunting community. Let's find out what she has to say about it. In your book, you actually have the word ectoplasm. Mm. That's Ghostbusters all the way. I don't even know what ectoplasm okay, I'm using it, the yeah. word in the sentence. I don't even know what it is. It's fun to say
3: though. Yeah, The Ghostbusters, ectoplasm is just sort of slime. It's, yeah, it's, it's that green that goo. Green goo, they're mm-hmm. kind of sticky and probably tough to get out of your clothes. Mm-hmm. But ectoplasm back in the it, spiritualism. You're familiar with spiritualism, this was a belief. It was a it was that a you can religious communicate with movement. The dead. Yes, but not only that, this ectoplasm was tangible representation of spirit energy. So, the medium would produce this stuff and say, Here, look, it's tangible proof. You can hold it in your hand. You can see it.
1: So, ectoplasm had a real meaning and yes. definition. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Whether yeah. or not it itself
1: was real. Exactly.
3: Wow. exactly. So, the, these so, this mediums, period would have
1: been late 1800s, I guess, right?
3: Yeah, through the early 1900s. Early 1900s, 1900s yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Sure. So spiritual and that's when you had seance. huge, seances. Seances were big. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of the hottest ticket in town, some of those. It was very entertaining. You'd have this woman. You know, there was never a guy. A, Why can't a guy be no, they were, in touch there, there was a, with the yes, dead? Yes, there was a guy, okay. Rudy Schneider, is that his last name? Anyway, very, very, very uh, charismatic and mm-hmm. colorful. I mm-hmm. won't go into the details because they're a little gross. You'll
1: you have, have to see. read the book yes. to get into the details. Spook by Mary Roach. Okay.
3: <laughs> so anyway, this ectoplasm, they'd go into a medium cabinet, they'd pull the curtain, and it's dark in there, and the curtain would open, and there'd be this stuff that had come out of this medium's mouth. That, and people were like, oh, wow, look at that. It turned out it took magic to debunk this because they had you know, Houdini among them Houdini yeah. and Harry Price because their point of view was no you don't need a PhD what you need is a background in magic and I can tell the you what they're and to how to the background yes, and how to fool somebody and in
1: fact a scientist has no experience Purposefully right. trying to fool somebody. Right, right, right. So they
3: got, you know, Charles Roche, Nobel laureate. They got Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who fell for everything, apparently. Mm-hmm. But people really bought into this. The Scientific American did articles on ectoplasm. Uh, the Sorbonne, there were studies done there on ectoplasm. So the urge
1: to believe was so strong. Yeah, it turned out to be The skepticism cloth. with yeah. cheesecloth.
3: It was cheesecloth wound up very, very tight that the person would swallow and regurgitate. They were regurgitators. It's a sideshow. So
1: the slime was their saliva all over it.
3: Yeah, their stomach juices, yeah. Nasty. Nasty. Sometimes they would use uh, sheep offal guts.
1: Sheep guts. So the urge to believe overcame any urge to be skeptical, except among magicians who saw this as quite an act.
3: Yes. And what was interesting about both Houdini and Harry Price is that they had lost a parent or loved one and they were looking for the real deal, but along the way they were like, You're not it. You're not it. You're not it. And in the end, didn't find anybody in, who passed their criteria. But they knew how So they maintained
1: their skepticism all the way.
3: Yeah, but they had this hope that they'd find the real deal.
1: Okay. Yeah. So that makes it that much stronger a result if you're looking for it and you want it to be true. Yes. But none of it convinces you. Exactly. Well, that was Mary Roach reflecting on some elements of her book, Spook. But I've got on the line Joe Nickel. Joe, has anyone offered you ectoplasm as evidence for ghosts?
6: Well, uh, as I mentioned earlier, these, some of these uh, photographs that you get have what looks like a spiraling vortex or, or sometimes a strand-like effect. And people often say that's, that's ectoplasm. But what it invariably tends to be is the camera strap is bouncing the flashback. You can get almost anything uh, in front of the camera lens when the flash is on, a wandering fingertip, strand of hair, uh, uh, a passing insect, uh, particles of dust, almost anything, and you could create really, really spooky effects. Could be Even, a ghost insect. It could be a ghost insect, <laughs> right? Be, right. A right. And, and I'll dead fly give that. Ghost no, insect. I think
1: it's a ghost camera strap. Yes, <laughs> and, and, and I'll
6: give those hypotheses all the all the attention they they deserve. That is, I will. Promptly ignore them and and move right on. So so anything anything that, that can intrude, even uh, if you're in a cold place and your breath uh, goes out and, and creates a kind of fog, it, it can create a really misty-looking ghost effect. All these things, some of these are called ectoplasm, and they're all supposed to be some form of ghost energy. None of them actually, of course, are.
1: So now that everyone has access to a digital camera with immediate results of what they photographed, you, you probably have more of these incidences, especially when people don't fully understand the photographic uh, uh, photography as a medium
6: right, because what they're doing is it particularly see if it, now if this happened in a suburban uh, home, maybe they wouldn't think it they just think it's a photo glitch but if if now they're in a haunted house looking for a ghost and so any anything happens I mean literally anything. They call it an anomaly, and that's supposed to infer that it's a ghost. But again, it's just an argument from ignorance. Yeah, it's it's not evidence it of anything. It must
2: be a ghost. That's the, mm-hmm. right, right. Especially if the thing you're in is called a haunted house. <laughs> right. i going to say that's that's going to predispose people to some false information. That no. absolutely, absolutely
1: uh, does. Joe, I want to put you on the spot. What would you count as really good evidence for a ghost? just so i can do that and and get you to certify
6: <laughs> well
1: you know that's, it's it's hard to say what
6: some non-existent thing might might be like i mean we just uh, i think we would well, do you think we it would, would be handsome i think by now if ghosts existed we would know it I, I think one would have come up to to a group of skeptics and and convinced them in no uncertain terms, and and this would have happened repeatedly. You don't repeatedly. get how
2: <laughs> <ghosts> think.
1: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> ghosts avoid skeptics at all costs. What
2: if they're simply socially anxious? You never thought that when people die, maybe they just don't like groups. <laughs> yeah, or
1: or
6: as Maury Povich said to me once, uh, Maury's nothing if not a smart aleck. He said, you know, I said I was on your show and I said. Well, uh, whenever I go into a haunted house, ghosts appear to go out the back door. And he said, well, Joe, maybe they just don't like you. (laughs) That's exactly. (laughs) And, you know, I I have to consider that that's possible.
1: You know, uh, uh, continuing in my conversation with Phil Plait, the bad astronomer, uh, we talked about how skepticism actually has revealed itself in the two famous ghost movies, Ghostbusters and Ghosts from decades past. Let's check it out.
4: I love some of the stuff in Ghostbusters where they turn skepticism on its head. And and in the beginning of the movie, when they're walking around through the library and there's a bunch of books piled up. And I think it was Egon who goes a little crazy about it and says, that's amazing. And then Bill Murray says, yes, no human would stack books this way, which is such a great skeptic line. Because, of course, you have to look for the mundane explanation. But the beauty of that is in the movie, it was the ghosts that did that. So it's all messed up. And in the movie Ghost. There is a skeptical series of steps that goes on. And I like the way they did it. Whoopi Goldberg's character is, in fact, a fraud. She cannot speak to the dead. But then Sam shows up, uh, Patrick Swayze's character shows up, and she can hear him. She can't see him, but she can hear him. And then she has to go and prove that she can do this. And of course, Demi Moore's character doesn't believe her, and, and there has to be a series of pieces of evidence. And in fact, When Demi Moore goes to the cops and says, listen, this psychic told me things that she couldn't possibly have known, the cops say, look, she could have figured this out this way and this way and this way, all of which was basically correct. They did that pretty well. But then they show, of course, that it is, in fact, Patrick Swayze's ghost who's talking to Whoopi Goldberg. And so it turns skepticism on its head. I actually felt that that was pretty good, the way they set that all up. And they kind of poke fun at the skeptics. But of course the only way they can do that is because it is a fictional movie. In the end, sadly to say, skeptics typically are correct. (laughs) So I think that most, in fact the vast majority of cases of ghosts, are clearly misidentification and the ones that are unsolved, if there are any, are probably solvable if we just had a little bit more evidence that would show that they're not ghosts.
1: That was the bad astronomer, Phil Plate. Joe, you have a book coming out now. It's out, or is it coming out
6: soon? Uh, it, it'll be out early next year. I hope. Uh, you hope? Sci- yes, I hope. Okay. Uh, is it uh, called, called "The, the Science, probably Not
2: a Ghost"? But maybe <laughs> the, <laughs> okay. the
6: science of ghosts. But look, I've I've
1: actually caught some ghosts. Um, oh? the, well, yeah, well, we're yeah. going to have to go to break in like a few seconds. But hold that thought. All right, we've got to take a quick break. But more star talk when we return. This is Star Talk Radio. Welcome back. Before the break, Joe Nickel, who we have on the line, a ghost investigator extraordinaire. You left us hanging, Joe. You said you found evidence <laughs> for ghosts.
6: Well, as I've uh, as I've published in our magazine, Skeptical Inquirer, I've I've caught a few ghosts. One of them was at a haunted inn in um, in Ohio, and people couldn't explain how. They would go to the, this particular room and paintings and pictures on the walls would be turned askew. And they would straighten the cleaning crew, would straighten things back up. And sure enough, the next time they were askew again. And this was very puzzling. And, you know, I thought, well, maybe trucks going by rumbling would, could shake the walls enough. Not a great hypothesis. Turned out when I checked into the hotel late one night and just chatted up the, uh, the desk clerk, she said. <laughs> Uh you know that uh, that room upstairs she said well the the cleaning crew is just so superstitious i just can't help but mess with their minds okay. <laughs> and so i use my pass key and i go up at night and i turn things away and they just they get so excited and of course right then and there i had caught another ghost There
1: it Uh, is. Doesn't get more real than that. What a real good. So most ghosts. That's as real as it gets for me. (laughs) Mischievous clerks. Let me get to my last clip with Phil Plate, the bad astronomer, who uh, reflects uh, interestingly on the movie Ghost, which I think is everyone's favorite ghost movie. Uh, Well, it was mine actually. And
2: uh, yeah, don't give me ghosts. Don't make me like ghosts. (laughs) I'm sorry. Fine. Sorry. It's my favorite ghost
1: movie. If I had to pick one, Uh, let's check out. See what he has to say
4: look, it's a beautiful story. It was funny. It was warm. It was a beautiful romance story. I got choked up at the end of it. Of course, you can't help it. It's just being human. But it does buy into this idea that people tend to believe in things like that, and it reinforces this idea as well. If you're deeply in love, if you're married or you have a lifetime partner and that person dies... Who would not want to spend another hour with that person or even just a moment like they do at the end of that movie? And besides that sort of immediate emotional comfort, there's also sort of a long-term idea that, look, there is an afterlife. When you die, there is some of you that sticks around or maybe doesn't literally stick around on Earth, but still exists and has your memories, is you. And I can't think of anything more appealing than that. So in a movie like that, it it does sort of play into those emotions. Every skeptic I know who does it all the time says, the things I have to be most skeptical about are the things I most want to believe are true. Because that's how easy it is to get fooled, to fool yourself. And that's when you have to be most on guard.
2: What he's saying is the reason that I I don't totally believe in Valhalla but really want to <laughs>
1: we want to Yeah, so, so Joe, the urge to want to believe, that's pretty strong, isn't it?
2: It's absolutely
6: powerful. Carl Sagan used to say that he wished he could Talk even if just once a year to his dead parents these are these are powerful emotions. I remember when my grandmother died as a boy, and how much i didn't want that to be the case so if we were if we were voting, who among us wouldn't vote for for ghosts? We'd all raise our hands yes we want we want that, but we're not we don't vote in science we're We have to look at the evidence, and no matter how powerful that urge is, even in me. I mean even even when I'm not that personally involved and I'm in a haunted castle in in Austria or some place, you get around that's i do i do I've been in more haunted places than Casper, but I can feel not the about ambi- Casper. Wow. I can feel the ambiance sometimes of places, and I say to myself, if this place isn't haunted it it ought to be
1: so you feel have sure you, you feel in the haunted vibe. is there one country that's more haunted than others in terms of their claims and assertions?
6: Oh, we probably outdo about everybody else. I mean, we we've got ghost hunting stuff on on every channel, and it's just uh, huge. It's just absolutely huge. And now today, almost every city, town, and hamlet in the in the country has a ghost hunting club. Really? And bless them, they don't know what they're doing. They're not detecting ghosts. Uh, they're 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 not on the you know the cutting edge of. of uh, you know, finding something that science can't find,
1: but their hearts in the right place.
6: Their hearts in the right place. Sure.
1: Their and gadgets to rip out their heart. That's their what you gadgets. do.
6: <laughs> <laughs> their hearts are in the right place, and their gadgets are in the right place. But but nothing they're doing vaguely resembles science. You know, when it's, I was a
1: kid, I was I was angry that the only thing haunted out there were haunted houses, and I grew up in an apartment. And I said, "Can we have a haunted apartment?" And then came Ghostbusters the movie. It was a haunted apartment. Yeah, I said, yeah. "Yes." Yeah. Or, or uh, Dr.
6: Robert Baker, who I, I, the late Dr. Robert Baker, the psychologist with whom I investigated so many haunted houses, and he he had a saying: "There are no haunted places, only haunted people."
2: Ooh, oh, haunted. and then Paranormal Activity came out to prove it. <laughs> yes, we,
1: we've got to wind down here. Uh, I'm going out looking for ghosts. Right, you're in as New soon Orleans, as I can or, get out of here. You're in the best place to do it. Yeah, and yeah. I, I want to uh, leave with a, a clip from our favorite uh, phone-in comedian, Brian Mallow. He's the science comedian. You can catch him in his Twitter stream. Uh, he has some reflections on what ghosts might be, uh, what might look like if you found one. Let's check him out.
7: This weekend, while everyone is dressing up for Halloween, I'm reminded of why I don't believe in ghosts. I know it's a controversial stand, but hear me out. If ghosts were real, they would be naked. And I'm completely serious. At the point that you die, you give up your physical body, transcend the material realm. Why on earth would you need clothes? Are you cold? Is it a little bit drafty in between dimensions? Or maybe you're shy, still a little self-conscious about the size of your ghosthood. Are they the clothes you wore in real life? Bermuda shorts, knee-high socks. Whoa, scary. Or just a plain white gown that's issued when you check in upstairs. You know, the non-gender specific eternal white gown for all your hunting needs. No, ghosts would be naked, and that's even scarier than the shining. For Star Talk Radio, I'm Brian Mallow, reminding you that astronomy can save your life. If you're undead. <laughs> that was Brian Mallow, who's a
1: science professional science comedian. Did you know they were out there, Eugene?
2: They or him? <laughs> okay. But now I do. Both. Yes. It is both.
1: We've got to wind down on Star Talk Radio on this Halloween edition. I want to thank my guests, and as always, I bid you to keep looking up.